Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today we're gonna to walk you through our latest edition of the Premium Wine Club. Uh, today in the studio, we have our uh, first group of three people ever. <laughs> I'll have you guys introduce yourself and let us know what you do. Hi, so I'm Dave. I am one of the owners of Stephen Vines Wine Bar in Lethbridge. And I'm Jenna, I'm also an owner of Stephen Vines and married to Dave. <laughs> And we have yeah. our little daughter, Lennon, here with us, who's six months. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, uh, you know, hanging out, rocking out, tasting some wine, you know, like a, like a real pro. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've known you guys for quite a long time now. Uh, so I feel like it only makes sense that since you were up in Calgary for the day anyways, we might as well, uh, you know, have a little discussion. I think you guys offer a really interesting perspective into the world of wine uh, and, uh you know, sort of bring it back home for a lot of people. I think a lot of the people that we have on this show are like, they've been in wine for essentially their entire lives versus for you guys, it's more of a recent endeavor. Uh, so it's super cool to, to have you in the studio. Um, before we, we get too far down that rabbit hole, I'll just introduce the first wine just in case anybody's drinking along uh, at home. The first wine that we have today is Maloof Scrambled Sticks. Uh, essentially, the idea behind this wine is that um, in the in the Johan Vineyard, which is a really famous vineyard in Oregon, um, in the Venduser Corridor, a very windy, cold part of Oregon, um, when they were originally planting it, they, they accidentally got a bunch of vines mixed up, and so they ended up with this sort of field blend of a bunch of different grape varieties, uh, including some Italian grape varieties like Ribolla Gialla, Tokai Friulano, um, and when the Malou family got the opportunity to work with this, they decided that they wanted to do, you know, an ode to this mistake, essentially. So the idea was, let's ferment all these grapes uh, and, and put them all in the same bottle. They all came from the same place, so maybe they can offer a really good perspective on this region. This is very much a, a classic orange wine, but at the same time has a lot of uh, freshness. So <laughs> Lennon already wants to get into the, uh, into the discussion here, but... Yeah, really beautiful color on this. I think like right when Dave poured it, uh, you guys were all just like, yeah, this, this color immediately screams, this is going to be delicious. And right off the bat, like this is a incredibly powerful version of orange wine in my opinion. Very flavorful, very intense, um, tart fruit, a little bit savory, but mostly, um, you know, kind of a citrus bomb really like very grapefruity, uh, so much grapefruit pith, you know, whatever the hops are that make that grapefruit flavor, I get like tons of that sort of vibe. Um, but yeah, I don't know, what, what, what do you guys think? This is your first time tasting this wine, I assume. This is the brand new vintage too, so it's, nobody's really tasted it, so. It's delicious. The color is like a sunset. Um, totally. We've tried Maloof wine for the first time probably three months ago, and yeah. fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. So. We were, we were pretty excited when you told us we were trying this today. Totally. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is that our, our premium club is only available in uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. So it means that you guys down in Lethbridge uh, have access to the regular wine club, but not so much the, uh, the premium club. So it's a good opportunity to get to taste something that's uh, a little off the beaten path. Uh, cool. Well, let's jump into you guys for a little bit. Um, that's why you're here. Nobody wants to hear me talk anyways. Uh, so... I guess maybe we'll start from the from the beginning of the wine experience. So what was sort of the inspiration for getting into a wine bar and at what point did you sort of realize, hey, we can do this uh, and then start to actively, you know, make the efforts? 
I think some days we still think, can we do this? Um, but Dave and I have kind of, well, since we got together, have enjoyed traveling the world through wine and food and culture. And actually, after we had met you probably five years ago, I think you did a wine yeah. tasting for me at my 30th. Yeah. And um, yeah, we found a new love for natural wine, which that was probably our first experience with natural wine and following that we just continued to grow and explore natural wine in general um, and then I was traveling in Germany on a teaching exchange and Dave was down here I think he was actually drinking wine with you and through a series of wine drunk adventures I think we decided that Lethbridge needed somewhere where you could enjoy wine um, so we thought, well, let's do it. And yeah, we searched around, I think about seven different bays in Lethbridge until we found our beautiful location. And our then business partner, Kurt, um, it sort of snowballed from there. It was one big idea. And I think within six months, it was like, holy, we've signed a lease. We've got renovations to do. What's going to happen? And then as we all know, the world of COVID hit and it was one of those things where I think each time someone was struggling to keep going with the project, the other two managed to sort of encourage and cheerlead them on. And yeah, we finally pulled the trigger and opened the doors in July 2020. So we'll be celebrating two years coming up here. Nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely very exciting for me having, you know, started going down to Lethbridge after meeting Devin from Andrew Hilton. Uh, and sort of being invited to, again, do that wine tasting for you. Uh, I've sort of fallen in love with Lethbridge and everybody thinks I'm a little crazy because most of them aren't willing to go down there to, to see how beautiful it is and, uh, you know, see sort of the culture of the city and, and see how vibrant it is. Obviously a very, uh, it's a really interesting city because it's 50% like really young. Uh, you know, a lot of kids going to, you know, college and whatnot. Uh, and then 50% is like sort of these well-established families that have been there for forever. So I, I really feel like it's, it's sort of got the best of both worlds for a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's still sort of urban sprawly in the same way that Calgary is, where it's not the most walkable city in the world. But at the same time, just so much good green space and, and definitely worth, uh, worth heading down to visit. Um, one of the questions that I have for you is you both have very uh, different careers to what you know, the, to the wine bar, uh, both in the sense that you're both, uh, you know, very active in an in athletic sense, uh, Dave being soccer, uh, Jenna being uh, circus and performance and, and all these different things. Um, but then also you're, you're both working with kids uh, to a greater or lesser degree. Um, how has uh, your experience doing those things translated to running a wine bar? Um, again, most people that I know who own wine bars, they sort of grew up in the service industry and you sort of have different, uh, a different approach to it. So uh, have those things been helpful, useful? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I found them useful. So I did, um, back in the younger days, um, worked a few seasons overseas in hotels and, um, in bars. So I had a little bit of experience, um, not a lot. My main experience was sat at the other side of the bar being served. Um, so yeah, it's, I think we've managed to take a lot out of our sort of day jobs and our, um, our hobbies and interests. So 
I program manage for the not-for-profit in Lethbridge, so that's helped me sort of network, be able to negotiate and work with people um, and use those skills on that side of it. Um, and it's also allowed me quite a bit of freedom to, you know, work at the wine bar if needed in the evenings, take the days to come up to Calgary to pick things up, to do tastings. Um, yes, yeah, so that was my sort of bonuses of my job to the wine bar. And I guess before I got into the wine bar, my experience with the service industry would be I worked at White Spot for quite a few years <laughs> um, and at a pub in Edmonton called Franco's for a good chunk of time as well. I think that's what put me through school. Um, but before I actually went and got my ed degree, I was doing my Bachelor of Science with the focus of in genetics. Mm. And if I would have known when I was 21 how important genetics would have been to my wine love, I probably would have invested more time in, in that. Um, but yeah, and then I guess now I've been teaching for 12 years. And it's kind of a nice balance between, like, I enjoy the children, but it's nice to be able to go and enjoy adult interactions afterward as well. Totally. <laughs> I can but, imagine. <laughs> yeah, I think I know, we both just have a love for learning. I, I, you said earlier that our, not, or our experience of wine is a little fresher than others. And it's, I know going into this, we had a little bit of imposter syndrome, but it's been really nice getting to know individuals like yourself and working with Devin and Andrew Hilton. And um, we just have so many supports who have kind of helped walk us through this and grow in our knowledge and create a space that's been really cool for us to learn and introduce Lethbridge to th- like some things that maybe they didn't have access to before. Totally. How do you find the perception of wine in Lethbridge as sort of a general statement? Obviously, yours is a very different wine bar from anything that's existed there in the past. Uh, you know, any, any previous wine bar has essentially been, uh, here are the top 10 selling wines in Alberta. They're all available by the glass. That's the extent of it. So you have like nine big heavy reds uh, and, you know, one flavorless white wine. Uh, and that's the extent of what their wine bar experience is. None of the staff know anything, et cetera, et cetera. Yours is obviously a very different venue where the staff are either knowledgeable or like very much deep into the learning process of, of figuring out wine. Um, and obviously your connection to the wines is, is a lot stronger. It's, it's less from just an aesthetic value, more from a philosophical sort of level where, where you love wine for a lot of different reasons. Um, can you explain maybe how, A, you go about uh, engaging with consumers who are unfamiliar with having ever been to a wine bar, and B, uh, how you've gone about pursuing, you know, something that's authentic to, to you, you know, a, a wine bar that is true in nature uh, in a place where one hasn't really existed before? I don't know, that's a lot of questions all at once, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'll let Dave start and segue from him. Yeah, so like you mentioned, we have a broad spectrum of clientele. So with having the university population and then having the, the more established families, we see a broader horizon of um, backgrounds in wine. So, you know, the students that come in that, you know, are just starting afresh in their drinking journey to the, the more established drinkers. Um, and I think for us, what... We're still encouraging people and um, supporting people through their journey um, to try new things as well. A lot of the time when we opened up, you know, people, as you know, with certain grapes that you bring in through the natural wine world, people don't know what they are. So like Blaufrankisch, Cape Francos, um, yeah. 
so we still have people coming in just asking for like the Cab Sab, the Pinot Gris. Um, they're either established with, like you said, the top 10 wines in Alberta that they can get in the liquor store and that's it, or they get at the big chains, the Moxies, the Earls. Um, so trying to build that trust with people too. Um, we've started to see that where um, some of our clientele that are repeat customers will now, um, they'll allow us to, to pick blind for them too, right? They'll trust us now. Um, but we do, we, um, we're a great lover of Barvon Develle. When uh, Barvon was open that, you know, you could have a little bit of a sample to see if you liked it. And that's what we still do with our um, clientele. We'll encourage them to try a little bit of a sample. You know, yes, you really like that grape, that style of wine, but try this and see how you feel. If you like it, great. If not, no harm done, right? We'll, we'll build that. And we're starting to see a change. We're starting to see people that will sort of segue to try something new. First question when they come in now is, it, what, what's new on the menu? What have you got? On? What's not on the menu that's like hidden away in the in the <laughs> cellar that we can have? So and it's nice to see that. And for our staff too, um, they're always willing to learn. They again come from eclectic backgrounds. Everyone has full time jobs that work for us, which is crazy. Everything from dance teachers to head brewers to real estate agents. Uh, so it's nice that they're in their journey too. They're willing to learn. They're willing to try those wines have you know have that little bit of fun with it as well so it's it's i think it's growing yeah and it's been nice since i mean none of us claim to be experts in wine so we've it's been a little easier for us to take maybe a little bit of pretentiousness out of what wine is especially those who don't know much about wine it can be pretty daunting um so yeah it's been kind of a an adventure for us growing in our wine journey alongside the people who come and drink with us at our bar totally yeah, it's uh, honestly, again, for people who haven't been there yet, it's such an amazing space. It's very inviting. Obviously, you're both very inviting, so it's, and you've chosen your staff well, so it's, uh, it's a great place to go hang out and super fun little wine list as well. Um, all right, so we're going to jump into the second wine here before we ask any more questions, but uh, this is coming from uh, Coppich. Uh, so Alex and Maria Kopich, they're located in Bergenland. Um, this wine is called Perspective. Uh, perspective because, you know, they like to get a different perspective on things. Uh, they learn a lot from making these wines, which is always very exciting. Um, but this is coming mostly from Blaufrankisch. Uh, that's kind of our battle today is, is a Blaufrankisch battle from, you know, essentially these, the two vineyards that our Blaufrankisches are from today, this one and then the uh, Peter Vetzer next, are like a... 20 to 30 minute you know ride from one another uh yet somehow they couldn't be more different uh entirely different stylistically um entirely different from a flavor perspective but i think that's what makes this really exciting and again as we talked about in the, the last time the whole goal here is that we want to do more side-by-side -side tastings um more things where, where people can actually learn um you know, something from the actual wines themselves. And, and comparison is a really great way of doing that. Um, this is clocking in at like 10.8% alcohol. Really low alcohol, definitely more on the herbal side of things. There's a little bit of Saint Laurent uh, blended in here as well too, which is quite a light grape, very similar to Pinot Noir, um, very susceptible to, to rot and botrytis and all these different things. And so they've been uh, lucky enough that they've you know, figured out how to farm it in a way that where it doesn't all just turn to a uh, turn to rot. Um, one of the things that uh, Alex and Maria went through over the last year that 
I, I think a lot of us has gone through is that they both got COVID. Um, and it was right at the time that they were supposed to be blending the wines for the previous vintage. Uh, and they were basically screwed. Like they couldn't taste or smell anything. They were exhausted all the time. And it, it sort of changed the way that they did things. They had to have a little bit more trust. They had to relinquish a little bit of control. And that's something that's been very exciting for them. Um, previously, Alex was like a workaholic. He spent all his time in the vineyard. Um, he was absolutely obsessed with perfection, making sure every single leaf was in the right place. And now he's kind of gone the opposite direction where he's like, you know what? I, I, can, I can only control so much. I still want nature to be the dominant factor of our wines. And, um, and so through that, they've actually made wines that they think are, are even better than their previous wines, which were a little more controlled. These are a little more wild now, um, but I, I think that they're way more happy with the actual wines. Um, when it comes to relinquishing control, I'm sure you guys have uh, this right off the bat. I'm, I'm notoriously bad for this. Like for the first year that Mark was working with me, I would basically let him do nothing. Uh, and then slowly and surely I got too tired to do anything anymore. So I passed off all my tasks to Mark and now he does everything. Uh, <laughs> but how has that experience been over the last year? Um, basically starting a restaurant, but at the same time, obviously not being able to be there every single day. <laughs> uh, and obviously this little one takes up, uh, you know, a good chunk of time as well. So how have you found that experience and what's your sort of methodology for uh, people management? Um, well, when we first started, it was just myself, Dave and Kurt. And I think the three of us manned the kitchen in the front for the first four months. Um, I forgot that you ran the kitchen. That was yeah. so wild. <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we had Jenna in the kitchen and then I was working my day job. And would come and work till midnight and then clean up and go home, sleep and then go back. But yeah, it was busy for months. So we had, yeah, full control of everything that kind of happened. And then the universe just slowly brought us people to support us along the way. And it, we are so grateful for every single person who ended up helping us out. I think we pretty much still have almost every member of staff that we started with. Mm. Um, pretty close, at least. And... Still, even then, we had a, we, like I said, it was hard to let go of control. So every night, one of us would plan to still be there and make sure that things were still going the way that we wanted to. And actually, it wasn't until um, I was probably eight months pregnant that we decided that I couldn't continue to serve. Not only because it was hard on me, but nobody really wants someone eight months pregnant pouring them wine, really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we had to let go of control once we had let in because we had no other option really totally and i don't know how long dave and i would have lasted if he was at the bar every night <laughs> so it was a lesson of grace and patience but it's a good thing it happened because you like I said you can't hold on to things and hold on to control for too long before you're just drained and exhausted and now we have like five members of staff so i think we just hired a couple more chefs um and they're some of the best people we've ever met yeah. and we trust them not like we're not we're not there every day while we're open although we still kind of set up we have a little bit of control still yeah. um <laughs> but they help us curate some of the like pick out our wines they create our cocktails i have zero control of the kitchen anymore which is amazing because our chef's incredible yeah our chef has the the company card and just you go do what yeah. you want to do. You tell me what goes on that menu that we print out. And yeah, and it allows us to focus on 
other things that are really important for all our mental health and for the good of the business. So. Yeah, definitely. No, makes a lot of sense. Um, in the same vein, what do you use as resources for learning about uh, A, wine, and then B, how to run a business? Because, um, I, I, you know, this is, this is a very different business than anything you've been involved with. In the past, what have you sort of used as resources uh, in order to get to a point where you felt comfortable running it? And obviously, there's still a lot of learning on the job. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just curious. Well, I don't think there's necessarily an endpoint to our learning, um, because the more we learn and explore, the more we realize we don't know. Um, but Dave's a big reader, so we have a huge bookshelf of wine books and service books, and he dives pretty close, like pretty deep into those. Um, most of my continuous growth comes from exploring myself like I I love going to other people's businesses and enjoying what other people do is not only in Lethbridge but anytime we can get out and travel uh, we were just in England over Christmas time and one of our folks while we were there too was to pick out our some small new pop-up wine shops or restaurants that we wanted to go see how they they get things done um, and just kind of re-inspire ourselves as well yeah I like to read a lot I'll follow people on social media and um, reach out and ask questions. So some of the winemakers that you've introduced us to, um, was lucky enough to spend some time in the Okanagan meeting them and asking questions, uh, learning that way. I'm sure if someone came in and done a deep dive into our business, they'd probably be able to s- streamline things a lot more. Um, I'm not sure how 100% efficient we are, but it gets us by on what we do. And like Jenna said, we're forever learning. We're you know checking out um, restaurants and different places to go when we are traveling just to try and see what we can change um jenna's more the ideas person and i'm the doer so if she needs anything i make sure it gets done or food gets ordered in or certain wines get brought in and make those connections so and our learning and our front of house is a little more seasoned in the fine dining. well i wouldn't say we're fine dining but they're a little more well versed in fine dining um and even this last week i went back to work to work a shift and they were showing me how to use things on our point of sale where it was taking me far longer um, because I was just doing the way that I thought things should be done. But obviously there's much better ways to run things. Yeah, so we're, do. we're learning through experience and through trial and error. And, and I do think that's helped that we'll be blessed with staff that have that experience. So our chef is Red Seal. Both of them are actually Red Seal um, one has over 15 years experience in the field. Our front of house staff have ran wine bars in Norway to uh, running big chains, managing bars and restaurants. I think they kind of stepped in and helped us out and streamlined a lot of things for us and still take on some of that as well. So, Totally. Um, I guess the next question is, is where do you get your wine inspiration from? Like, how do you write a wine list? Obviously, that's like... A, it's a very personal thing writing wine lists. It's one of my favorite things to do because it, it obviously has to reflect the restaurant, but also the staff that are going to be serving it and, and all these other things. So what is your sort of philosophy for finding wines that you want to work with and deciding you know, how many go on the list, all those sort of things? What, what was sort of your ideology behind making a, a wine list? Well, originally when we first opened the place, our focus was we wanted to open a bar where a good portion of our wines are natural wines. Um, and 
obviously because we were not everyone knew, knows what natural wines are um i don't want to say especially down in Lethbridge, but why like i said before we're all kind of growing in our knowledge together um we need to bridge that a little bit too and have some styles of wine that are familiar because people like to be familiar with things as well so we kind of started there and i think almost our entire menu was i'd say about 80 85 percent that was natural um Actually, our first goal was we were like, we want to get on that Raisin app. We were traveling yeah. through London and using the Raisin app to find all the natural wine bars. And our goal was like, oh, we should open a wine bar so we could get on this app. <laughs> um, I think that's our focus for 2022. We're going to get there. Yeah. Um, I've already submitted all your stuff. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> we're just waiting on approval. Perfect. So, <laughs> so that we can almost check that off our list. Um, but in terms of creating a wine list, it's basically what we get excited about Mm -hmm. and we've now that we trust our I mean we've always trusted our staff but now that they're a little more familiar with things that they enjoy and that they gain a little more competency in um, selecting their own wines they come to us too or they'll send us pictures of wines they've tried over the weekend that they're excited about and I truly think that if you're if you know what you're drinking and you're inspired by it or excited to share it other people are typically quite excited about it too and it just makes the experience an experience rather than a going out and drinking 50% off bottle of wine, which I've done for a good chunk of years. I, there's, there's definitely a place for that. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say we've necessarily refined how we make our list. Uh, even this last week, we were, we were running out of different glass pours and Dave and I were like, let's just pick out a couple. We'll make a little side feature list and see what people think. Can we, we gauge people's kind of reactions and some like depending some wines that we'll have um either drank or like when we were you did a tasting with Maloof actually about a month or so ago mm-hmm. um when we get the opportunity to listen to winemakers or raw wine had their um online festival a few months back too um when we get excited to hear from the actual winemakers or about the vineyards that's that really inspires us so typically you'll find our menu starts to be populated with more styles of wine from those individuals just because the knowledge of them is fresh in our minds too and there's some sort of personal connection for us which makes it easier to share as well totally yeah it's uh yeah obviously we really like those personal connections in the sense that most of the winemakers we work with are very good friends of ours and we try and go hang out with them as often as possible and you know now that travel is going to be a thing again we're, we're doubly excited to go visit them um what, what are, I guess, the most popular wines on your list right now? Like, what is Lethbridge drinking? Or at least, what is Lethbridge drinking at, you know, Sewer Mines? <laughs> um, yeah, we're starting to see that transition. So on our reds, um, we had the Balfkeck Francos from yourselves that was on there that was going down fantastic. Um, so yeah, so the, the Balfkeg Francos and the Bergenland rod's been a big hit for us. Um, Actually, one thing that we found, well, so, sorry, I found over the last month or so is the number of people who come in and ask us if we have any new orange wines. Where like at the very start, people would look at the orange wine and be like, ooh, orange wine, that's going to be weird. Thinking like it was made from oranges. So we did a whole lot of like educating about what orange wine was. Um, but now that, you know, people are a little more familiar with it, they're excited to explore it a little bit more. So I find a lot more people asking about orange wines, which is exciting for us too. So our menu has had to kind of grow on that that aspect to reflect that. I think we initially started with like two, like two orange wines or two bottles. And now there's a, you know, like a dealer's choice of five or six orange wines at any point that 
you know, if nothing's open, you're the first one in, you get to pick. And yeah, we're seeing a, a good uptake in the orange wines too. Um, we still have, they said we have kind of a spread of people who come in. Actually, most of our clientele probably sits between 20 and 40 years of age. Um, however, we do have a few other older people who come and join us as well who have probably a, well, they do have a stronger knowledge of more, um, I don't want to say conventional wines, but classic wines, um, where their knowledge and terminology comes from talking about grapes and regions and years and things that are like, we're slowly learning about it, but it's, it's not necessarily our forte in the, in the wine industry. So it's been nice to learn from them, but also kind of making sure that some of our menu reflects that as well. So they, I found that a lot of our more classic wines has been driven by support from the community, which has been pretty cool. Yeah, we've had a few people that have came in and looked at the wine list. They've drank with us, but at the end of the night, we hand out a little guest book um, and they'll leave a little bit of a comment in there about their experience. And a few people will leave like, hey, could you you know, check out this wine and see what you think about it. So we'll take those suggestions, check out some of the wines. And if it's, you know, if not only if we like it, but if general consensus, the staff like it, and, you know, we'll try it out on family and friends and we'll bring it into the bar. And it's nice because then when people come back and they're like, oh, you brought that wine in. It's like, yeah, like fantastic suggestion. Thank you. It's, it's a good talking point and they're part of the experience as well. Uh, before we get too off the uh, the beaten path here, what, what do you think of this wine? Do you want, want to give us your thoughts, your feelings? I've already crushed mine because I thought it was so good. but I really like the nose on this wine. Like I would be very happy just smelling this one. Mm-hmm. Um, although it tastes delicious too. It's got like that... I And this might sound terrible. I described it almost like that farm-like aroma. Like it's got a little bit Definitely. of earthiness that I really like in my wine. That typically reflects in like a juicy blackberry type of finish, which I enjoy. Yeah, I get that juiciness, that like dark fruit, that blackberry, blackcurrant taste to it. It's, yeah, like you said, it was about 10.8%. It's it's crushable for sure. It's really Yeah, very tart, like really mm-hmm. like sour cherry. This is definitely, yeah, like you said, like like this is farm fruit. This is not, you know like store shelf artificial fruit quality mm. this is like these are real blackberries and these yeah. are like these raspberries real... came out of my backyard like they totally come. yeah it definitely has that quality um yeah super energetic wine uh the next wine that we have is the literal antithesis of that in a lot of different ways um this is coming from spernsteiner uh, which is a vineyard in uh, on the Hungarian side of the border. So uh, our last wine came from the Austrian side of the border, but really these things are only like 20 to 30 minutes apart by car. Um, this is coming from Peter Vetzer. Peter Vetzer, really small producer. He's making like a thousand cases a year total uh, in his basement uh, and sometimes in his backyard because he runs out of room. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a, a questionable setup, but I love it nonetheless. Um, and Sprensteiner is considered arguably maybe the best vineyard in on this side of Hungary. Um, the church used to own this vineyard and they were very reluctant to relinquish control of it at any point because they knew how valuable it was. Um, they're, they're like, out of all the things we own, all the 
you know, relics and, and old gold. Uh, nothing is more important than this particular vineyard because the quality of wines that it made. Um, it's planted on gneiss and mica schist, so really hard rocky soils. Um, it's quite exposed, uh, quite low yielding, and creates these wines that are just wickedly intense, um, really flavorful. And this is sitting at 14% alcohol, so more than 3% higher alcohol. Uh, so entirely different beast. Um, but I think it's a, it's a fun comparison. Um, yeah, what, what are some of the, because you, you mentioned Cac Francoche and, and Blau Frankish, it's, it's uh, you know, Austrian comparison. What are some of the grape varieties that you've sort of discovered over the last little bit that, uh, you know, are now sort of like staples at, um, at Steel and Mines uh, that you maybe never expected those to be like the classics for you? Yeah, I mean, like I said, more so thought process of the uh, the Keck Francos was a big one. Once we explained to people kind of the origin and the similarities, um, and then they got a taste of it, the profile. I think that was a big hit for us. Um, just trying to think what else we have because we just changed our wine list. So it's like what was on the wine list and what's now on the wine list. Um, even not even just grape varietals like when people come in and it's like hey we have this austrian wine or this hungarian wine people are like really there's wine in hungary and austria and it's like yeah like it's phenomenal like and then <laughs> or the czech republic like some of those central eastern countries aren't ones that you normally see when you walk into a wine and beyond yeah kind of like other european countries rather than a whole section on yeah, we're quite fortunate that we do have Andrew Hilton that has a wide selection and does have, you know, those wines from the Czech Republic, Austria, Hungary. Whereas like Jenna said, you go into the big box stores and it is California, like it's USA, New Zealand, Australia. So yeah, even just opening people's eyes to wines from around the world. We had a Pinot Noir from Romania for a while, mm -hmm. which was a huge hit. And people, as soon as you tell people it's a Pinot Noir from Romania, they're like, Romania? Like, really? So... I think also instead of the grape varietal, it's showing them that there's wine from other regions of the world and mm -hmm. then we can get into the grape varietals and break it down a little bit and open those doors to people trying new things. And Totally. Um, so later today, we will, A, get to drink the rest of these wines because you're sticking around. Uh, so that's going to be very delightful. And then two, we're going to do Pinot Fest. Uh, we're going to taste through like 18 different bottles of Pinot Noir uh, and Pinot Gris uh, and one bottle of Pinot Meunier from all around the world. Uh, and it's going to be absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Um, how have you found that uh, your tasting has changed over the course of the last couple of years? So obviously when you first started tasting with me, natural wine was like a totally new thing. Uh, and, and now it's sort of like you, you drink mostly natural wines. Um, how have your tastes changed? You know, like if five years ago I asked you, like, what, what do you really like drinking? Where would you be? And now, you know, what, what do you really like drinking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I first started, I think the first ever glass of wine I had was with Jenna about 10 years ago when we first got together. And it was like this cheap pink bubbles for, I think it was like five pounds on the shelf at the local supermarket. And for me, my experience, if you say about five years ago, was sweet. So Rieslings, I love the Rieslings, the Gewürz, um, and over time it's changed. I love a good Pinot, 
Um, good Pinot Noir, I really like um, the heavier reds, uh, more bold, flavorful reds that I really enjoy. But at the same time, I mean, we've the last week we've drank a lot of white for yeah. a change, so I think it sort of fluctuates and comes and goes. But yeah, I think I've gone away from the sweetness. I try to stay away. There's always a good Riesling out there, but that used to be my go-to. Everywhere I'd go, would be like, just the Riesling, just the Riesling. Now I'm open to try anything and everything and broaden those sort of taste buds. I was a huge Italian fan. I, I could drink any Chianti and like when I was ready to spend $50 or split $50 with someone, I would crush an Amarone. Like if anything that was thick that I could chew seemed like yeah. what I wanted like six or seven years ago. Um, but now, I mean, since having Lennon, it's been a good chunk of months since I've been able to enjoy wine. So now definitely, just like that Coppage, we've explored wines that are a lot lower in alcohol, um, which has been like just kind of light and fresh and beautiful. I never turn down any type of bubbles anymore. Oh, and yeah. yeah. And although <laughs> I loved Chardonnay 10 years ago, I still love Chardonnay. Like, yeah. I think almost any type of Chardonnay, I'm just happy drinking it. I yeah. must say you've killed bubbles for me though, because now after doing that champagne tasting with you mm. back in December. Now, I mean, there's still, there's, still some, there's still some good bubbles out there in that, you know, 20 to $40 price range. But yeah, it's, it was Charles Dufour and yeah, Christophe Mignon. They're just now yeah. what bubbles has to be. So. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I feel the same way too, honestly. Like I don't drink a ton of cheap bubbles i always advocate for cheap bubbles but i I just like maybe that's my problem is that i I advocate for cheap bubbles but i just drink expensive bubbles twice as often uh i'm like you can get really really good cava for like 30 40 dollars and then i'm like but i'm still gonna drink champagne instead uh i'm just gonna drink it twice as often uh which is you know terrible on the budget but uh, i'm definitely in the same boat it's something that's nice to spend money on unfortunately but. Yeah, and if you enjoy it, well, and Dave's no longer chugging wine the way he used to chug that mm, five-pound yeah. bottle of bubbly pink stuff. For so. sure, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we enjoy it much differently now, which is, we're <laughs> totally. both happy about. Yeah, I feel like, uh, and and not to throw Mark under the bus, but he he is definitely a swift drinker, <laughs> and I feel like we both, and I used to be the world's slowest drinker of all time. Like, it was ridiculous. I'd honestly, you know, over the course of an evening, I'd have, like, a glass and a half of wine. Uh, I'd just be so slow. So it actually kind of worked out really well between uh, Mark and I for sharing a bottle. You know, I'd have my glass and a half and you'd crush the rest of the bottle like pretty quickly. You need someone um, like that in your life. <laughs> totally, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, now we seem to have found this sort of like happy medium. But yeah, I have certain friends that are just like, yeah, they can, they can gulp wine like it's going out of style and I love it. I, I'm here for it for <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, we'll maybe wrap things up a little bit. Um, first of all, I this... Peter Vetter is ridiculous. It's so intensely flavored, so rich, spicy, unctuous, floral. Like it's got everything that I want out of a full-bodied wine. Like this is high octane, but I don't know, superbly balanced, superbly complex. Obviously has a ton of ageability. Um, we only got 30 bottles of this. Six of them we used for uh, Blaufest, which is our, our Blaufrankisch and Keck Frankosch festival. Uh, and then the other... Uh, bottles we reserve for the wine club so we're, we're essentially drinking our only bottle of it which is tragic um, but at the same time I'm completely blown away for the second time about how 
uh, amazing this wine is. Um, again, he's only making like you know a couple hundred bottles of this a year, so it's it's super cool to get to drink them. Um, so you know that aside, uh, you know to to round things off, what what's your sort of um, you know elevator pitch for uh, for steel and vines? Like if if somebody was like, oh hey, like you guys have a restaurant, like what's it like? Should I come in? Uh, what what would you tell people? Like what's the what's the vibe? Why should they be there? Why should people make the trip down to Lethbridge? Because uh, I think people will. They'll listen to this podcast and they'll just immediately drive down. So, <laughs> come on. for me, <laughs> um, for me, it's inclusive. Um, I'm from a big city where our downtown is vibrant, um, but I also like to go somewhere that I can have that conversation. I feel welcome. I can go in right after work in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt to going in on a date night, um, you know, dressed up before I head out somewhere or there for a date night. So yes, it's, it's very inclusive. Um, you don't need to know anything about wine. No. We will help you on your adventure. <laughs> we, we like to say that we'll help you on that journey. So when you come in, you know, we'll jump on that, that journey with you. Um, explore some wines until you find what you like. Our food style is more tapas, share and plates. Like our wine, we focus on those family, um, those family companies the ingredients are fresh they're as local as possible um i think bar our cheese that we bring in from springbank and calgary so that you can get you know different experiences instead of just going to safeway and lethbridge um everything is within a, a 75 kilometer radius of lethbridge um so yeah i would say inclusive for me for sure it's we have everything age-wise to just come after work to day and night um you have you know great knowledge or you a Somali elsewhere or a purchaser for a big box store then you know we everyone's welcome yeah and now that our elevator pitch has gone from like ground level to about 54th floor <laughs> um, on top of that our downtown is growing and it's there is more and more unique little places popping up downtown um, to shout out a couple other great businesses if you're after you're done some date night and some wine with us Bread, Milk and Honey also has some great natural wines on their menu right now, too. And the Owl also has natural wines, which are all about a somersault and a half away from us, too. So yeah. there's, now that it's kind of lightening up down there and more places are popping up. And especially now that they've like redone the sidewalks and stuff like that, it's such a beautiful walking area. It like, is. And you can spend an evening done. down there. Yeah. And <laughs> a nice have, little pub crawl. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Actually, I even think Bourbon and Butter has some... Notice some of their wine on there too. Looks like it came from your portfolio, which nice. is pretty cool. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you know, honestly, you guys just got out of the car and then I immediately started asking you questions essentially. Uh, but, you know, for the rest of the afternoon, we'll just get to hang out, chill. So I, I feel like, you know, you've done your work now. You'll get to relax. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you, Lennon, for all your uh, amazing contributions. Uh, <laughs> So, so chatty. Um, <laughs> now give me the eyes. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's honestly always such a pleasure tasting wine with you. Uh, super excited uh, to see where you go over the next little bit here. Um, if anybody has any questions about uh, the wine club or about David Dennis Project, uh, you can send me an email. My email address is eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. You can send us a message on Instagram. We're just at juiceimports. We'd love to chat with you, uh, and we'll uh, drink wine with you all again soon. Thanks so much.